Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Luntz. And we are your hosts. And today, we are joined by Kat Harris to talk all about her upcoming book, her lifestyle, um, all the amazing things that she brings to the world. She is a Brooklyn-based online educator, digital content creator and a female empowerment advocate from a place of faith Uh, we have this conversation all about her decision to uh, be celibate and she is incredibly insightful and knowledgeable about the bible um, about you know why this choice works for her and it was just like a fascinating conversation that I am thoroughly excited to bring to you all um, before that, I would like to take some time here to just rant and, um, and talk about our healthcare system because I am currently in the thick of dealing with the fucking bureaucracy that we have created between doctors and pharmacies and the insurance companies. And I have had a prescription that I'm supposed to get that's like a, sort of like an off-brand try for something um, that a doctor prescribed and it has taken over 17 days of conversations back and forth and back and forth of people just not taking responsibility, being incompetent, not understanding what it takes to actually get something through, to get it approved by insurance, also to the effect that an insurance company can declare that whatever the doctor prescribed is not okay. Like, it's blown my mind. I've been crying so much because it's just, like, God forbid this was a life-threatening emergency. I don't even know what I would do. And and this is benign compared to what people are experiencing. Uh, I, I encouraged a little bit to talk about this because I think it's important for people that um, have benefits and, and never really think too much, never think twice about their health care, which is what I was up until like a couple of months ago, um, mm-hmm. to hear what the other side's like and to see hear what it's like when you're uh, working off of like COBRA and things like that. Um, I've been fortunate to almost always have a desk job that provides benefits and also not really have to go to the doctor that much. So when it comes to time to do health care stuff, I just kind of go with, you know, whatever the majority of people are picking. Um but if you if you're like me and, and and you're hearing this kind of stuff, it's like that. It, it really is insane. Like when you're at your worst, uh, and this isn't you specifically, but when someone is needing help, mm-hmm. it, they shouldn't have to worry about is this going to not just like destroy my life right now, but also the rest of the years that I am alive because of bankruptcy, et cetera, et cetera. And right. yeah, it's just uh, it's an issue that I see on TV a lot, but I've never really heard someone's story and so I think hearing yours is important right now well and what's even crazier I think is like the prescription that I'm looking to get is you know it's not a narcotic it's not a controlled substance where it's it is like a concern that it there could be abuse or something it has nothing to fucking do with that like and so it's it's mind-boggling to me and it's really heartbreaking because like I get treated like an idiot and almost every call because I'm getting told a million different things from each other party who's not communicating with each other and so I'm like the go-between that's just trying to get a medication right like my 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 intention is noble and 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 everybody you know thinks it's the other person's fault and 
you know, this just goes to the fact that like we are consider ourselves like civilized, like, you know, somewhat more superior first world country and like our healthcare system is so unbelievably fucked and then to add to the conversation that we're talking about getting rid of the affordable care act which uh, granted is super fucked as it is absolutely and needs to be amended but to get rid of it and to potentially have um you know previous conditions into it to prevent people from getting care it is is ludicrous like the um, the amount of like how how much we denigrate human life in in service of companies in service of money in service of capitalism i, I it, it just blows my fucking mind and makes me so angry i'm so angry <laughs> i i am with you late stage capitalism blows uh, <laughs> it's yeah. the worst I would say, you know, please vote in November. Absolutely. Please vote now. Please vote early. Um, you know, please do your due diligence and, and get and get your votes into the poll. And and be aware of these issues. Like Will was saying, you know, if this doesn't directly affect you, like this is affecting millions of Americans all the time. And and way worse off than me. Like I am a very privileged white person and, and I'm grateful that I even have the money to spend on these expensive healthcare plans that I have. Like if I didn't, I don't know what I would do. Truthfully, like I have a chronic medical condition and I don't know how would I how I would afford my medication. And how I would afford any kind of care. And that's insane. Um, anyways, to bring it back, we are thrilled to bring this episode to you with Kat Harris. She is absolutely delightful and you're going to thoroughly enjoy. Woo! Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Kat Harris here. She is a Brooklyn-based online educator, digital content creator, and female empowerment advocate. She has a BS in biblical studies from Dallas Baptist University, is a co-founder of the online publication The Refined Woman, and the host of the Refined Collective podcast. And she also has an amazing book coming out in April 2021 with Harper Collins called Sexless in the City. Yay! Welcome! That is the <gasps> amazing list of accomplishments <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you for having me and i'm so excited to get to know you better and just have let's talk about sex and love and intimacy and all the things yeah, I, all I love all it. the things all the i love things. it too yes i'm excited <laughs> to get to know you better as well um so yeah i'd love to just start sort of with uh, where did you grow up in Texas? I think in a in a religious household. Is that no, not a religious no, household? Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, so I grew up in I grew up in Texas. You're right in Dallas, Texas, and I didn't grow up in a religious or a Christian home. Um, however, I became a Christian okay. when I was going into my senior year of high school. And uh, kind of how I tell people about what growing up in the South is like is whether you're Christian or not, Christianity is sort of the air you breathe. It's like the mm -hmm. wallpaper in the room of the house where you notice it when you first walk in, but then you get used to it and don't really even see it. And so, you know, things like waiting until marriage to have sex were not taboo topics for me growing up in the South. So even though I didn't grow up uh, in a religious household, I was always taught save sex for marriage. And I think that was more about being proper and 
Yeah. I think it's more, I've asked my mom about it because I was like, mom, why did, why did you, why did you and dad teach us to wait until marriage have sex? And she didn't really have a great answer aside. Oh, it's, it was the right thing to do, you know, or sure. that's just what you do. And so I think that was sort of what she was taught from her parents. And so there was a lot that once I became a Christian, wasn't like news to me. Okay. Um, but I think the avenues of hearing about the, com- the, the sexual ethic and the conversations around sexuality. And, and I really think what more so is introduced to me through growing up in, or after becoming a Christian in the, in the Southern church was a lot of shame narratives. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I think there was a, and you know, the South can be very image driven. And I'm also saying like massive, broad brush strokes, right? When really, you know, my experience is my experience. I am a white woman who grew up in the upper middle class of uh, white suburbia. So (laughs) my experience is just my experience. So I, I just, I can't sit here and talk for, you know, all people at all time who ever grew up or stepped foot. Um, But yeah, that's kind of like sort of my experience. So then what was the what was the general impression before you became a Christian? What was the general impression or conversation around sex, or was it just literally you wait until marriage and like period, <laughs> like that's kind of it? I mean, my mom has always been really open, and even just as a kid, masturbation was very normalized oh, in our okay. household. So there wasn't shame really around any of that. It was like, oh, everyone masturbates. And I always thought, well, that's weird that my mom's talking with me about it. But there wasn't really shame about it. And I remember my friends in high school coming over and asking my mom questions about sex. And, you know, my mom, I think as a teenager, it was more like, mom, like, sure. Yeah. 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 This is so embarrassing. I don't want to talk about tampons or my period. If anything, I was the one that felt uncomfortable, Got it. but my mom has always been pretty open about stuff and is always, you know, tried to create an atmosphere where we could talk about stuff like that. And, um, so yeah, that was sort of that. And then really school education wise, there wasn't a sex ed class. Oh, okay. At my high school, I didn't learn anything about sex or safe sex or anything like that from school. So really if my- They didn't even talk about abstinence. It was just not a part of the conversation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I know I took a health class my freshman or sophomore year in high school, mm-hmm. but nothing really stands out for me. So there were no sort of bananas passing around condoms sure. sort of okay. experiments. And I was also, I was, I think I was pretty naive. I was just joking with one of my girlfriends about this recently, but <laughs> I was like, people have sex in high school, uh-huh. even though my friend, I have a lot of friends that had sex. I just, I think I would just was naive. Like for me, I just, when I went to parties, I made out with a ton of boys. Like I, in the dozens, yeah. <laughs> I would make out with boys, but I just, I think that I was kind of naive and it was only kind of going back in my college years and twenties when I realized, oh my gosh my friends were having a lot of sex and I just 
yeah. didn't know. You know, it's funny. My experience is sort of similar. I was incredibly naive in high school, and mm-hmm. I was holding on to this Disney version of what love and relationships and mm-hmm. even, like, sex and intimacy looked like. And so I didn't even make out with anybody until college. Like, I, wow. I was, like, I was, like, so staunch in my belief that, like, whoever I chose like had to be the right person but I didn't even Mm -hmm. really understand what that meant and so it's so interesting looking back as well and being like wow I just had no idea what other people were doing because I was like so focused on this train of like this is you know what's right for me in this moment and I can't even consider any alternative options because I didn't know about them yeah Oh yeah, for sure. It's so interesting. I mean, I think too, we like how many of us, all of us get our heads are just up our own asses and we think our (laughs) experience is the experience. (laughs) And for me, I look back and I'm like, poor, like, I just feel bad for the guys that I interacted with because, you know, I was 5'10", you know, size two, you know, had this banging athletic body and wore short skirts. (laughs) I love showing off my body and I would just flirt. I think I was just a total tease. And guys were like, ooh, I get to go on a date with Kat. Yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, I cannot wait to hold their hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I would leave situations and guys would be like, I'm very confused. <laughs> That's it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, we this held hands so at the movie. And it we're was magical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of pre-Christian. And so, I mean, I made out with a ton of guys. That was kind of it. I become a Christian going into my senior year of high school. And that's really when I started learning words like purity, or I went to a purity ring ceremony where I made a promise to myself and to God and my future spouse that I would abstain from sex until I got married, which again, wasn't an earth shattering concept for me because of the home that I grew up in. And also I was all, oh, I live in Texas. So I'll probably go to college and get married when I'm 18 or 19. And so the idea of waiting didn't really seem like a big deal for me, but I definitely, I didn't really have shame around my sexual desire or even my body until after I became a Christian. Okay. So really it was like, you know, I'd always been like, Oh, I love my body. I just want to show it off. And then was like, Oh my gosh, I heard, I got all of these narratives about, wow, it's, it's the female body is almost dangerous or it's, Mm -hmm. it's the job of the woman to uphold the sexual integrity of a man, which is total BS, Mm -hmm. but I took this stuff on and then it was masturbation is a sin. And not only is masturbation a sin, but whenever it was addressed at church, it was only the, only the guys in the room were being talked to. So I was like, not only is this thing really bad, but (gasps) I must be like a really, really bad girl if I'm a girl and I do that. And so, you know, kind of quit all of that cold turkey. I I didn't really grow up having that like Disney princess fantasy, but then I became a Christian and was like, oh, the next guy I'm going to marry is going to be my husband. And so, sure. you know, so much pressure on dating right. and pressure on dating completely shut down to my sexuality and desire thinking it's bad and gross and what i know now is that if i am unable to accept my own desire as good god-given and god-designed which i believe that it is then how will i ever be able to 
accept my partner's sexual desire. Because I think we can mm-hmm. only really, we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. And so I, you know, I felt like being in a relationship or getting married would kind of solve these questions or solve these, these problems of shame when it came to my sexual desire and sexuality, when really that was only setting me up for more and more failure as I entered into romantic relationships and sexual experiences. Right. I mean, it's like this pressure microcosm that's just like waiting to explode. And then suddenly Mm -hmm. your partner has to fulfill everything in your life, which creates this like unhealthy dependence and codependency and Absolutely. This is all so fascinating to me because I so many of the things that you're identifying are things that I've identified and have caused a lot of tension with how I conceive of religion and the policing of women's bodies, the policing Mm. of, um, you know, how relationships are supposed to be had, how physical intimacy is supposed to be had. And so I'm curious your your journey with that to go from a place where it was relatively shut down a lot of these inhibitions were put on you a lot of the shame was um mm-hmm. and obviously or, or if you'd like to expand like I imagine the faith part helped you and in, in supported you in so many other ways and so then what was the journey to get to this place to have a uh, have an understanding of those limitations but not allow them to impact not only your dating life but then also your religious life as well yeah. Okay. Such good questions. Let me see where I just where said like a million, I know. I just I'm like yes. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So for me, so I'll kind of just take you on the journey of what it. this has looked like for me. So I am 16 years old. I become a Christian. I get a purity ring. I decide I'm waiting until I'm married to have sex. I also learn about you know all this like sexual sin and temptation so i'm super shut down to my sexuality and desire so can i just clarify a couple of things so um in terms of like what you're discussing when it comes to sex is that at at that point is that like a broad idea is that specifically Mm. penetrative which is like what you can make a baby out of or you know are there certain lines that are discussed or is this like a, a blanket term that you can take however you particularly want I can only answer for what my experience is and what for me at the time, it means something different now, but at the time to me, my assumption of what sex was, was penis inside vagina. Okay, cool. So if I stay away from that, I'm good. Um, and then there was a, a lot of people that were like, you know, it's not about how close to the line you can get, but like, how pure can you be? And so Got it. there was, you know, that whole realm, but to be frank, I really didn't even get in situations where sex was an option until my late twenties. Like I said, I was so shut down to my desire. I didn't date. I, I dated a guy in college that I was totally in love with that I was going to marry that relationship didn't work out. And then I didn't even so much as like have a full frontal romantic hug for almost eight years. So I went from age 19, 20 to 26 years old, 27 years old without one single date. I had a ton of crushes. I had a lot of good guy friends that I really liked, but nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. And so really 
for me, it was more ideology and I didn't really ever get collided with what is this, how does this actually manifest in your life? And when that really changed for me is when I moved to New York city a little over seven years ago. And I, in one year dated more than I had dated in an entire decade. Nice. I was casually dating. I was like, oh my gosh, I am Carrie from Sexless <laughs> in the City. Yeah. Or Sex in the City, but without the sex. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I within one year, I, w- I had gone further physically and sexually than I had ever gone in my whole life. Yeah. I had never even thought about, oh, do I want to have oral sex or not? Because sure it had never even come close to that. And then I find myself dating guys, falling in love with a particular guy and getting to a place over and over and over and over again, where we're kind of doing this game of technicalities of like, Ooh, like, I think I'm still, I think I'm still a virgin after that. Yeah. Does that count? Like did it technically go in? So really it was at that point where that was kind of when I got a fork in the road of, I I had been gone from Texas for a really long time. After college, I moved to Southern California. And then seven years after that, moved to New York City. And I am in this world that is not culturally, quote unquote, Christian. And even most of the Christians that I knew were sleeping around, living with their significant others. Mm -hmm. And here I was like, wait, I felt like Will Ferrell from what's that movie old school where he's like, let's oh. go streaking. <laughs> yeah, right. And I look behind me and I'm like, wait, I thought we were all uh, not having sex together. Am right. I the I only thought we one? were all on this train. Yeah, yeah what's totally. Happening? Yeah. So really in the, in the wakes of being dumped, mm-hmm. I, and you know, basically my virginity hanging on by like a, my lacy thong, <laughs> I yep. kind of was at an impasse. I was like, okay, first of all, it's a lot harder not to have sex when you're actually dating someone. And when you are having sexual experiences, when you are attracted to someone, when you care about that person, when you have incredible sexual chemistry, when you are in your sexual prime. And it's, I also, I think what I, what I also came to is realizing I had never questioned the why behind this rule. So I had been given this script in high school and college. I was a Bible major in college. I worked for a church. I did. I worked with kids. I was a camp counselor through college. I wrote Bible studies. I did all the things. (laughs) And I I could not tell you for the life of me, does the Bible actually say don't have sex? Oh, or is this some antiquated norm? Mm-hmm. Is this some is this some script that's no longer relevant? So for me, I I decided to go on a journey that I thought would be like a two-hour meditative experience that <laughs> turned into seven years later, and I'm writing a book about it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I started by researching every single verse in the Bible that talked about sex and intimacy and relationships, just to see what does the Bible actually say about this? And then do I care what it says? And then really unpacking, what is my sexual ethic? We all have a sexual ethic. And I believe that God cares about our personal agency and autonomy. Okay. And so I, I believe that God is way more concerned about our hearts than just rule following. And mm-hmm. so if I'm following a rule, but my heart is really far from that, then there's a massive disconnect. So I wanted to get to a place where whatever I believed about sex, abstinence, 
physical intimacy, that it was kind of an inside out decision as opposed to what I really ended up feeling like after I'm dating and having these experiences is I felt like a victim to religion. I felt like a victim to external expectations. I felt like I can't have sex because I'm a Christian as opposed to really owning actually this, these are the decisions I'm making. And I feel really, really good about that. And here's why all I could tell you was, I think the right thing to do, or I think the good Christian thing to do is to abstain from this. So for me, my whole journey that has led me to where I am today is kind of going on a journey of really getting to know the God of the Bible, as opposed to the God of like religious expectation. Mm -hmm. And then unpacking what are the sexual scripts that I was given from culture, from school, from church, from family, what of those are filled with shame? What of those aren't working for me? And how do I want to move forward? So in that it's answering questions like what is sex? Is sex just penis and vagina? Right. Is it more than that? Um, Peggy Orenstein is this incredible New York Times journalist, and she has a couple books. One is called Girls and Sex, and the others is, is called Boys and Sex. But she says, she quotes this doctor, I think his name is Daniel Fortin, Fortinberry. Might have to fact check that. Okay. <laughs> but he says sex, we should view sex more as a pool of experiences as opposed to climbing a vertical ladder to achieve a certain experience. And that really resonated with me. I felt like, man, so if someone doesn't identify as heterosexual, do, are they just a virgin for their entire lives? Yeah, of (laughs) course. That's a a good question. And what about if you are one of the 75% of females who are unable to climax from penetrative sex? So 75% of women have their peak sexual experience with external clitoral like stimulation. And so does that person not able to have good sex? What's that about? So Mm -hmm. I kind of really just started unpacking all this stuff and through it realizing, man, I really believe that sex is so much bigger than one specific experience. And, and then even just looking into, I mean, I went deep girl. I, I, went, I love this. I'm I so excited deep. to dig into all of this. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. I even started researching and listening to people like Helen Fisher, who is um, not associated with you know, any sort of religious affiliation. She just has Ted talks on sexuality and her and a whole bunch of scientists actually now believe that there's no such thing as casual sex because our brains don't allow for it because of the oxytocin and Mm. dopamine and neurotransmitters that are released in orgasm. Mm. And so all this stuff, I'm kind of realizing, wow, like I feel like I was given this set of rules when really sex is like, this multifaceted, multidimensional experience that really each person needs to figure out what they believe and why. I think what I love so much about what you're saying is like how hypercritical of your own inner thoughts and how you're being impacted by all these different um, outside influences and then taking everything in and then figuring out what works for you. And like, I think more and more as I do this podcast and I talk to more people like that is the most crucial thing, even in our world today, right? Like if we all took a moment to just be like, okay, I'm being inundated 
with so much information. What feels authentic to me? What actually works for me as opposed to just like grabbing onto the latest thing and then going with it because I'm being told it's popular, it's cool, or it's the thing that's going to get me, you know, into heaven or whatever, whatever these barrier methods are that we've created for this framework. It's just amazing. And so I'm curious what, and I'm sure we can't go into the whole thing and we can read your book in April 2021 to find (laughs) out even more, but um, what did you find in the actual Bible when you were yeah. reading that did talk about sex and sexual ethics? Yeah. So, uh, okay. I'll start with what I learned in the new Testament. So the yeah. latter half of the, of the Bible where Jesus is there. And then after Jesus dies yeah. and the, my whole question of, does the Bible actually say this? It actually says to abstain from premarital and extramarital sexual activity 24 times in the new Testament. Premarital and okay, wow. So like affairs, got it. You know, so if you're married, don't be sleeping around or you know making out with people that aren't your spouse. Um, But it it's hidden, which I think is such a confusing. I don't understand why it's like this, but it's hidden behind this phrase: flee from sexual immorality or flee from fornication or uh, don't fornicate 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 Fornicate. and even like if you type fornication in uh, your microsoft word it it, there will be a red squiggly line underneath it because it's like that's not a word it's just you're like it's in the bible you're like well so what does it mean so the greek word there for sexual immorality and fornication is porneia porneia is obviously where we get words like pornography yeah and it's this really layered word that encompasses a lot of experiences. And basically it refers to any sort of sexual activity outside of, of marriage. So at the very least, <laughs> we can probably say <laughs> that that means penis inside of a vagina, right? Sure. Um, the P and the V, P and um, the, v. the P and the V, but it actually, <laughs> it's, I think the cool thing about it for me at least is it's a little gray, right? So what exactly is sexual activity outside of marriage? Does that mean like I shouldn't even like hold hands with someone outside of marriage? Sure. What's the actual invitation? And I think what's really beautiful about that is first it requires, I think that it requires us to use our brains sure, and to think deeply. And in that, I think, wow, how cool of God that I think humans are really prone to want to have a script or formula mm-hmm. and let me just, you know, give me the 10 hacks to overnight success. Sure. And I just wonder if God was like, I think sex is like so much bigger than that. And mm-hmm. I created humans with minds and logic and thoughtfulness and to really sit and think with what does that mean? So what does it mean to flee from sexual activity outside of marriage and to flee from means to run as far as possible from. So it's not like, well, it didn't technically go inside. So right, just like a casual, like walking by, it's like, a get the hell out of there. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, that was really interesting to be like, okay, so actually the scripture is really clear. And as a person who is saying that I believe this is truth, do I choose to walk in that invitation to abstain. Mm -hmm. And then the next layer for me was, man, okay, what I believe about who God is, is that God cares about my heart. So if there's any sort of invitation or rule 
then it has to be because there's something compelling underneath that. Mm -hmm. And what I found in that was going back to Old Testament. So Old Testament, we have the first couple in the Bible is Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see this like rhythm of creation, you know, God creates the heavens and the earth and the light and the mm-hmm. skies and the, you know, seahorses and the drafts and all the yeah. things. And the climax of the creation story is the creation of humanity. And when God creates humanity, he says like male and woman, man and woman, male and female are good and not just good, but very good. And so that right there tells me a couple things. It tells me that not just my mind is good, not just my spirituality is good, not just my hands and feet are good, but all of me. So that includes my sexual desire. That includes my sexuality. That includes my body. So my body as a woman that I've been so shamed by or shamed for, it's like just existing. Chiminanda Gozzi-Adici in her uh, TED talk, We Should All Be Feminist says, you know, it's almost like just breathing as a woman, we're inherently guilty of something. So I'm reading, wow, like from Genesis one, the first page of the Bible, that like that, those narratives are actually dismantled. And and so so my body- in terms of, sorry to interrupt you, but in terms of the Adam and Eve story, she, Eve is created from Adam's rib, right? And then she is blamed with the reason for why we're not, no. No, no. Uh, Eve isn't blamed for the fall of man. <laughs> that is a, that's definitely a patriarchal view of that okay. encounter. Um, but that's not where I stand on that yeah, particular part me. of that story. Yeah. Um, but do you want me to keep going with like the, I do. I do. Okay. I was just curious yeah. about that because, um, so I'm Jewish, um, okay. and, and, and so I'm more familiar with the Old Testament, but honestly, like since I did Hebrew school and got bat mitzvah, like I haven't had as much contact with it. And so it's interesting hearing you talk about Adam and Eve in that way, because my association with it is this more patriarchal, um, framework of how you know men are superior and mm. women are more inferior and so I love what you're gleaning from it and taking <clears throat> from it and so that was just where my question yeah. came from. well then let me just do like a quick like theology 101 Please. on the <laughs> the Adam and Eve story and the Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed right they're walking through the garden of Eden they're walking with God in the the cool of the day so there's there's connection to self, connection to other, connection to the divine. They're walking through the garden and then they come. The, the one thing that they're not supposed to touch, right, is the, the, the big tree, right? So they get to the tree and the serpent is there. And the serpent says, you know, he's saying, you know, did God really say not to eat from this tree? And so the serpent is entering in doubt. And even doubt of, is God good? Does God tell the truth? Does God really mean what God says? And, and God, God is holding out on you. So really like God is telling you not to do this because basically he's a killjoy and you actually know better than God. So why don't you eat from this tree and see what opens up for you? So there's a lot of layers going on underneath that. And so Eve eats it, gives it to Adam. 
Adam eats it. And then, you know, their eyes are open. They realize they are naked. What's the first thing that they do? They cover their bodies. And then God, who all-knowing, all-present, everything, God already knows what happens, right? But God says, where are you? (laughs) Right. And not because God doesn't know, but because there's something in humanity to say like, oh, here's where I am, or "This this is what has happened. And then Adam throws Eve under the bus Mm -hmm. and is like, oh, well, the woman you gave me, (laughs) you know, she ate the fruit and gave it to me. And if we, I don't have the scripture right in front of me, but basically kind of what it boils down to is we see the the passivity of man. Got it. So is it, is it, is it woman's fault? Well, why didn't Adam speak up? Adam knew what God said about don't eat from this tree. So Adam was quiet. Adam didn't show integrity. So to me, it's like a, it takes two to tango. And then Mm -hmm. when he had an opportunity to own up to his mistake, he didn't, he didn't take ownership. He acted like a victim and he threw the other person under the bus. And so I think that there's, I think it's a both and. Right. It's and like a duality of our, our pitfalls as human right. beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the great downfall was doubting that God has our good and doubting that God, if God says something that it's maybe it's for our best. Maybe if a God who created the universe might know more than someone who's been on earth for a few decades. And so is there humility in my heart? to say, huh, like maybe before I just do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, maybe I pause and ask my creator, Mm -hmm. what's your heart for me here? As opposed to the instant assumption that you're just here to, you're just here to control me. You're just here to do what you want to do. You're just here to keep me from living my best life. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm not even going to take ownership over it, over my decisions. I'm just going to blame someone else. for it. So if we zoom out from that, that's not a very far cry from even how I was showing up in my sexuality of, well, I don't really know if God has my best interest and I'm making a decision. I'm making decisions of oral sex or messing around with guys or having sleepovers, whatever it was. And I wasn't taking ownership over it because I was saying, I'm a victim to Christianity. I'm a victim to what to what, uh, like what I'm supposed to believe. Right. And so, you know, I think we see this Adam and Eve story and it's why I say like the patriarchy is because man, what an arrogant thing to say, well, this is just this other person's fault. Well, oh, no, you both were there. Yeah. I mean, 100%. <laughs> like, <yes>. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, we could go on like a huge like sure. theological tangent on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But no, I, think I love huge, that. Thank you for expanding on yeah. that. Yeah. I think the huge part for me is just kind of maybe like bookending that conversation is there's a narrative that we experience, whether it's from like Hebrew school or Christianity, of uh, you know, women are less than. Mm-hmm. And actually the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh of, of the Torah and the Old Testament was so provocative and scandalous because he was so for women. Mm -hmm. We see Queen Esther, this orphaned turned queen who by her power and influence stopped the genocide of her people. 
We see Proverbs 31, which is the battle cry of what is a woman of noble character? What is What are the qualities of the godly woman? And the godly woman in the Hebrew God's eyes is entrepreneurial. She's business savvy. She uses her voice to influence culture. Mm -hmm. She is um, she's fashion forward. <laughs> her family is respected in the community because of her social standing, because of who she is. Mm -hmm. And so any sort of rhetoric that is downplaying the significance, the power, the influence of women is I'm like, well, we're reading some, we're reading a different book then because I love that. I mean, you're, yeah, you're so right. I, I love these examples. I think you're right. They've been taken and shifted into a narrative that has definitely brought down women. And, you know, especially within Judaism, the, you know, conservative orthodox, like how women are treated within those sects um, is is definitely varied and, and, and take some of that into consideration. But we do pass on lineage through the mom. And that's mm -hmm. how you're, you know, fully Jewish. And so that is really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But so I, so great. So I, I love that <laughs> diversion and I'm so appreciative so the of fall you sharing wasn't that. a woman's fault. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Summation. Back to you. Back to you. Um, yeah. And so then after doing this research and going into the Bible, so then what did you glean that worked for you in your yeah. own personal life? Yeah. So, yeah. So kind of going back to that is, so I go to the creation story in scripture and I'm seeing, wow, like God is for women. God created humanity holistically. And then we see this Adam and Eve story of, you know, Adam is alone. Adam goes to work. Um, and God says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so, you know, God puts Adam to sleep creates and fashions and forms a woman, something that's other and different than him, wakes him up. And Adam's first response to the creation of Eve is to burst out into song and poetry. It's like, the, it's the first poetry in the scripture. And he says, at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like this person was so taken by this woman that the only proper response was singing <laughs> and yeah. poetry. And then it says, and then there's Genesis two and it says, and, and then like a husband and wife shall, you know, leave their parents, like the whole leave and cleave thing. And then, um, he will know her mm. and know in the biblical sense is to have sex. So oh. the precedent from page one and two of scripture is that sex is after a marriage commitment. And then we see that again in the Song of Songs with King Solomon and his bride. And I mean, that book is freaking erotic. I mean, they're talking about oral so sex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's anyone who is like, man, God, God is a prude or, you know, you shouldn't really talk about this stuff. It's taboo. I'm like, read the Song of Songs. <laughs> like Hebrew boys were not allowed to read that book until they came of age and well, they were at least 13, 13 years old because of how erotic it was. Um, so I think what I found in that was, I was like, I was really curious, well, why? So why after marriage? And so then I researched what was it to, in Jewish culture at that time, what was getting married like? And when, you know, we 
we leave home now when we go to college. Sometimes people leave home before you go to college, but I'm 35 and I have literally had over 100 roommates at this point. Wow. <laughs> I, like that's not an exaggeration. I believe you, I've had yeah. over 100 roommates at this point and it's not really a big deal. But in Jewish culture at the time, you left home once mm -hmm. and it meant something. It was very significant. And you left home when you were getting married. And how that happened was the Jewish boy had to, you know, walk on over to the girl's house, had to sit down the entire family with the parents and say, you know, I would want to marry your daughter or I want to, <clears throat> yeah, I want to get married. And, you know, they would figure out is, is this going to work or not? If the family said yes, then they couldn't get married until the Jewish man or the guy built a house for this woman. <clears throat> and typically that happened back on his family's property because there was a lot of, you know, family business. Right. And so he would go day in, day out, you know, brick by brick, he's building this house. And, and they don't get married. The wedding day doesn't happen until that house is ready and finished. So there's a couple things that happen there. Like one homeboy has a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's not like, Oh, I'm just like pursuing part-time acting. Um, he has a job. He is, he's not dating her in secret. He's not texting her late at night. You up? Like, right. Not, right. Oh, like I'm just dating around. I'm playing the field. He has gone to her family. So he's dating her loud, out proud. His intentions are known and he's building a house. So everyone in the whole city knows this guy is serious about this woman. And not only is he serious about this woman, he does, he's not just a talker, but he's putting his money where his mouth is. Right. He is showing right. with serious. his actions. Right. Exactly. That I don't say I have integrity. I don't say I'm going to be faithful. I do it. I do the things I say I'm going to do. And I think that is something that we've really lost yeah. in where we currently are with hookup culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not against online dating. I have an online date this week. I think it can be really incredible, yeah. but I think we've allowed the bar to become so low for what we expect mm -hmm. and how we want to treat each other. And I read that account after I read all that, I was like, that's the type of relationship I want. I want a guy who mm. wants to show me, mm -hmm. uh, show me how serious he is about me. And this guy is saying, I'm a one woman kind of guy. I'm not messing around. I know what I want. Right. I know that I want you and I will do anything and everything it takes so that you feel safe in our relationship mm -hmm. so that you know that there is trust here. And so to, and so they're building that, that trust together mm -hmm. and then they get married and then they have sex. And for me, you know, outside the 24 times in the New Testament, that really changed. That really did something in my heart because I felt, man, I have really accepted poor treatment or less. I've said yes to things when I really wanted to say no. I've held back what I really want in relationships and sexual encounters because I don't want to seem like I want too much. I want to be the cool girl. Totally. And really, I want a relationship. Like, so in that sense, like sex then becomes this physical manifestation of this like mind, body, spirit, soul connection. Right. And I think, I think 
the physical is is always like a reflection of the spiritual okay. or something that's going on underneath the surface. So if I am stressed, like my shoulders are up to my ear, my jaws clenched. Like if I'm sad, I'm crying. Like our we're constantly like our physical is constantly giving away our hearts, our spirits. And so for me, then sex becomes this like. I am all in. I'm not going anywhere. This intimacy of, I see you, I want you, I want all of you. And within that space to experience, um, to experience physical intimacy, that's what I really want. Right. So does getting naked with guys feel awesome? Totally. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. But that, like, I realized actually that's what I want. Like, and I'm willing to wait for that. And, and in that, and when I look at sex like that, it's sex isn't bad. Sex isn't sinful. Sex isn't this, you know, Oh, like do everything. But it's like, well, actually sex becomes this, um, this, this thing that has the power or has the opportunity to reflect so much more. And, and I think, and, and that kind of goes back to, the Helen Fisher conversation and even Esther Perel, uh, she's a, a, a mm-hmm. therapist talks about, you know, the best thing about marriage is that you have all the time in the world to figure out each other's bodies and, and even neurologically and scientifically, um, the more we have a sexual encounter with a specific person over time, like over decades, your body is like we're pattern makers or our our brains are pattern makers. And so your body starts to crave that other person. And so really, you know, we live in this culture that's like, well, if I get married, it's the death of good sex or spontaneous sex. But what science would actually say is that when you're with a person for a long period of time, if when you're in a long-term committed monogamous relationship, that's actually the entry point of possibly the best sex you'll ever have in your life. Um, sure. I, yeah, so. I think it's really interesting because Esther Perel has a, <clears throat> has has many different theories she talks about, right? Right. But, and I think one thing that lends to what you're talking about is like there can be this period. I think she talks about after like four years that it can wane in your interest in the monotony of another person. But you know, if we go back to what you're describing and that commitment, if you're truly committed to the other person in the way that you're describing and invested in reinvigorating it and getting more curious about somebody and getting more intimate with somebody, that's where you can unlock these other potentials for, you know, an even deeper experience, right? But it's like that, it has to be that constant commitment to that opening of our hearts and and, and vulnerability because I you know it becomes this vulnerable I feel like when you're in a long-term monogamous relationship it's even more vulnerable sometimes to share and to go that deep and to reveal layers of yourself that you you haven't before right (laughs) or and I think what is really beautiful too is even just if we're talking we start talking about a conversation around consent or mm-hmm. sex culture or hookup culture that has predominantly is most women who are interviewed about did you have a good sexual encounter or not how they would describe if it's a good sexual encounter is if the guy came yeah and, oh, linearity oh man yeah, yeah. and so like w- when you're in a relationship you're able to kind of say 
you know what, that may have worked last time, but it didn't work again. Like we got to go back to the drawing board. And I think, you know, even going back to what I, you know, Genesis one and the equality of the of humanity of the male female experience. And then we can go into New Testament stuff as well and gender roles. Like I believe that relationships are created to be mutually beneficial. I, I believe it should be mutual. Like I believe there is, should be sexual reciprocation. Yeah. And so is this a sexually satisfying experience for both people? And it's kind of probably easier if you're in like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am situation. Like, ah, oh, well, you know, I'll just fake it this time, but no, you should never fake it. And also you should be able to have a level of trust with your partner to say as vulnerable as it is, that didn't work for me. Can we explore this or can we talk about this? And for me, I feel like, man, in order for me to feel really safe and communicating that and exploring that, for me, I'm going to need to be in a relationship that is longstanding and it well, isn't going anywhere. And I think that was that was my question, which you just answered. But, you know, the the flip side of it, right, is is that there is ownership that can be taken and boundaries that can be expressed and, and, a, and a dialogue that can be crafted and, and, you know, worked through when having physical intimacy with people who are not potentially a committed partner or right. otherwise. And so do you feel in your journey, like, was that a moment of, am I missing something by not participating with my body in this way? Or, I mean, it seems like you came on the other side of that doesn't work for me, but it, was mm -hmm. there a conversation surrounding that possibility of, you know, this is out there. Does it work for me or does it not? Oh, of course, of course. And I would say that, I mean, from most of my, my, what I, I want to say most of my life, I would say once I really started dating and having more casual experiences after moving to New York, realizing oh, I feel like a sexual infant, I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh, like, I don't know what to do in the bedroom. And I felt super insecure and I felt, oh my gosh, I feel really behind. And really it was me going through the journey of what do I believe about this stuff? And I think the question outside of, you know, sexual encounters or intimacy, I think a question that I hope we all can ask ourselves is what do I really want? Yeah. What do I really want out of this encounter? What am I really looking for? And are my actions in alignment with what it is that I really want? And are my actions moving the needle forward and getting me the things that I really want. So, you know, sometimes you just want a hot makeout or you just want to, you know, yeah. feel skin to skin with someone and that's normal and natural. But when I really started looking back at my relationship history and my past encounters with men and breakups, I realized, yeah, the physical is amazing, but what I really want is I'm, I'm looking for a partner. Mm-hmm. I want, I want a partner. I want to have children and I want to feel known and seen and accepted. I want to experience, you know, I want, I want to experience the day to day with someone, you know? And so, yeah, I can go out with a guy and meet a guy at a bar and, you know, have a fun experience, but that's actually not getting me closer to the thing that I actually want. Right. And so I kind of realized my actions 
were not producing the results that I wanted. And so I did, I've done a, I did a emotional intelligence training. It's been six, seven years ago now. Me and too, like five years ago, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Which, what did you do? Uh, MITT. So did I. You did? Oh my yeah. God, how funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> did you do the full shebang? I did. Um, I got like to the first weekend of the legacy program and then okay. it was my okay. time to end. Did you finish the whole thing? Oh, I did all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Amazing. It was outside of like my faith journey, one of the most transformational experiences of my life. Oh, me too. Yeah. It, maybe that's why you look familiar. <laughs> maybe. How funny. <laughs> well, let's talk about dates later. And yeah. Get it. Um, but for me, a huge part of that, you know, you're constantly getting feedback, right? Yeah. And so you're being coached in a public forum of, oh, whether it's, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. Sure. And the coach would be like, well, based off results, you don't want that. Right. Or I would say, well, I really am ready for marriage. And it was like, let's look at what your life is manifesting. And my, I was only attracting guys that were emotionally unavailable or already in relationships or only wanted casual. Mm -hmm. And so it, their feedback to me was, well, actually based off results, that's not what you want. And so I'm going through this like spiritual journey as I'm also doing this emotional intelligence training yeah, and realizing- I am saying that I want a serious relationship that's leading towards marriage, but all of my sexual encounters, all my romantic encounters are casual. So really I can like blame it externally, or I can start taking ownership for how I'm showing up and realizing I'm attracting emotionally unavailable casual encounters because something in me is emotionally unavailable and seeking casual, even if I, I don't want that. to admit yeah. that. Yeah. And so that for me, a kind of the combination of all of that was, gosh, I really want to take ownership for how I'm showing up. And if all I am, if I am constantly recreating this relationship dynamic of casual, that's not going anywhere, then that's because of something inside me. So, you know, all these years later, I'm still single, but it's been interesting just even yeah. to see in my own journey of, you know, seven years ago, I'm making out with random guys. I'm, you know, felt like, oh, I'm having so much fun not anywhere close to the type of relationship I, I wanted. And now all these years later, when I go on dates, it's like, man, this person, it's like closer and closer and closer and closer to actually what I want and I'm looking for. Right. So kind of back to your initial question, I think getting really clear about what you want mm -hmm. and what sort of relationship you want and what is your vision. Mm -hmm. And then looking at your life and taking responsibility for, wow, like, am is, are my actions telling me that I want this or not? And so we can't change anyone else, but we can change how we're showing up. So I think that's for me, how I got to a place of really owning my sexual desire, really owning. Now I feel because I know my why now I'm like, yeah, I'm waiting until marriage. And I'm really excited about that. And I feel really passionate about it. And not in the sense of, I want to convince you to be like me, I want you to go on your own journey and figure out what you believe and then walk that out in integrity. I, I love everything you're saying. And I think <laughs> that is like the biggest thing that I want for everybody as well. Um, 
I, I, this has been so much fun. Thank you for sharing like all of your expertise and your journey. It is inspiring. I love your interpretation of, of the Bible, the new and the old Testament. And I've just thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. So your book comes out in April, 2021. I imagine yes. we can get it hopefully everywhere. Yes. 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 Then, you can get it everywhere. And then um, how do and- we find you if people want to contact you or get more information or sign up, you know, for a million you know check out your podcast and your other services <laughs> for sure so first of all if you're like i want to hear more about this whole sexless in the city thing i want to be up to date on you know book launch events all of that you can go to bit.ly slash trw dating tips that's bit.ly slash trw dating tips i have a free downloadable pdf about how to really activate your dating life as a single person. And then that will get you into my email community and you'll get updated on all the things. My podcast, The Refined Collective comes out every Wednesday. We're um, in the middle of a series called That's What He Said. And it's super fun. I interviewed single guys, married guys, young guys, older guys, asking them the top 15 questions that women sent in to me about dating and men and dynamics and how do I know if he's into me and all of that. So that's a really fun series going on in the podcast. Awesome. Uh, that's what he said. So I hope you guys check that out. Instagram is the refined woman. That's also my website. And Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been so lovely and I, I can't wait to read the book and hear and see more. Oh, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Um, I have to say I've learned an incredible amount in that in that interview. I you know, her interpretations of the Bible and, you know, the Adam and Eve story um really impacted the way that I I don't know that I think about it now. Like I thought about it through one lens and and it was pretty mind-opening to have this discussion and see the world through her eyes. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think that's one of the things that we have, uh, obviously, with the nature of this podcast, there are a lot of people that are willing to come on and be open. And we're very appreciative of that. But we do tend to get one perspective on things. And I think having uh, having Kat come on, we, we've gotten to see a different a different point of view. And I think that that's what we're always you know looking for. Um, and so yeah, I was, you know, really thankful that she was uh, able to come on and share. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. I, you know, I always leave conversations with people who have such a strong faith and such a strong sense of purpose. And, and, and I am a little envious of this, like what, there's such a comforting feeling of this supportive community and knowing that God is there and, you know, whoever else you believe and, and, and that there's like a path for you. And, you just belong and I was listening to her and I was like oh that's so nice <laughs> like yeah. that's so like if it, it sounds really nice it sounds really amazing and and so that's that's kind of what I took away from it too is like yeah no, I totally awesome. get you yeah, yeah especially when things can be so kind of messed up it's nice to um it can be I can be envious as well of, of people that feel like they have things figured out yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, as always, please follow us on social media at Finding My Yum Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We're posting behind the scenes clips from our Zoom calls, uh, quotes, and everything like that. So join our community, follow, share our stuff, 
slide into those DMs. You can reach out and email us at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. And uh, pick one of your favorite episodes and share it with how many friends, Jerry? 101. 101. 101. That's good. That's one more than 100. So. Get after it, it friends. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, we'll we've got some really exciting content coming up, so we'll see you next week. Stay yummy.